Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. I'm joined by managing editor Dave Noyce, who oversees the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. Hello, Dave. Hi, Peggy. We invite you, our listeners, to show your support for Mormon Land by going to patreon.com, where, with a small donation, you can access all of the Tribune's religion coverage, transcripts to our podcast, and an extended Mormon Land newsletter. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Mormonland. Now for today's show. Last week, historians with the Community of Christ, formerly the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, made a stunning announcement. Daniel Larson, a descendant of Mormonism's founder, Joseph Smith, had discovered the only known daguerreotype of his famous ancestor in a locket passed down in the Smith family. The emerging image was startling to many who know Smith only from a portrait that was painted of him in 1842, and the photo appeared distinctly different from that. The finding led to a nationwide conversation among members of the larger Utah-based Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and those in the Community of Christ, which was launched in the 1860s by the Founders' family. Viewers were asking, how do they know it really is him? Lachlan Mackay, Community of Christ Apostle who directs the church's historic sites uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois, and another descendant of Smith, helped analyze the locket, trace its ownership, and research the daguerreotype's likely history. Mackay joins us today in studio to answer questions about the photo and the process historians use to authenticate it. Welcome, Locke. Good to be with you, Peggy. What did you think of it when you first saw the photo? When I first saw the photo, I thought, I don't think that's Joseph. And have you changed your mind? So you had a similar reaction to many people, right? Yeah, I had a similar reaction to many people. Yeah, um, yeah it, it uh, you know, I, I'm skeptical by nature. And when I first glanced at it, I, I'm so imprinted on the portrait like everybody else, I didn't immediately see it. But once we started looking not at the overall impression, but individual features, and more importantly, starting to do objective analysis plus subjective analysis, and then started throwing in the provenance and and all of the other historical research, for me, it just kind of slowly built. I don't know that there was any one aha moment for me, but I got to the place where I'm convinced. So you now believe it's 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 him? I, I believe it's him. Hmm. Um, tell us what you learned about the likely photographer that, uh, who took the photo, Lucien Foster. Yeah, so we don't know for sure, but but Lucian Foster is probably the best candidate. He was the branch president for the Latter-day Saints in New York City. He might have visited Nauvoo in 1842. He definitely moves two months to the day before Joseph's death from New York City to Nauvoo. And before he left New York City, uh, there are, um, well, that's not quite true, May of 44, there are daguerreotypists advertising in the church newspaper there, The Prophet, which suggests to me that that relationship has already been established. So they uh, are advertising equipment, lessons, and Daguerrean lockets so that when you had your daguerreotype taken, you 
could set it into a locket. So he arrives in Nauvoo, apparently lives for time in the mansion house. He is in business and advertising by August of 44. So, of course, the question has been, was he doing anything before that time? There is a footnote in a in a work by Glenn Leonard that has him uh, with a daguerreotype shop in New York City by 1842, but we're we're working to track down where that comes from. Uh, one of the uh, daguerreotype experts I talked to said he didn't think uh, Foster's equipment got to Nauvoo till August, which would yeah, that might well be eliminate him as a. The photographer. It, it might well be so, um, but he is also there earlier, and there are also other possibilities, like Isaac Sheen, who learns the art of daguerreotype in 1840 in Philadelphia, moves to Nauvoo in 1843, 42, and then is out in the county in 1843. He later becomes the the editor of the Saints Herald, which is the RLDS periodical. Hmm. So, Locke, what were some of the some of the steps you took to authenticate? So we took a number of steps. We first hoped that it would be not difficult. Uh, we hoped that we could open the locket, meaning disassemble it, and that there would be a name or maker's mark. Something very or, easily then, right? Yes. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but, but even that was not easy because the pandemic shutdown had mm-hmm. just started, and everybody was terrified to meet. All the museums are closed. None of the experts are answering their phones. So it was pretty difficult. But through a friend who works at the Nelson Art Gallery in Kansas City, she connected me with one of their curators who connected me with a local Kansas City conservator who connected us with a miniaturist who had the skill to take the locket apart without damaging it. And there was no name, no dates, no maker's marks. So that was the first step. And then we started uh, proceeding from there in a kind of a multi-pronged approach. We started looking for folks who could help us with facial recognition software. Software. Of course, that works best when you have multiple known photographs of a person and you're comparing a, a potential image of that person. We don't have that. We have an oil portrait and we have a death mask. So this is on the edge of what, what facial is can do. But um, we knew we would get asked about it if we didn't do it. So we did and uh, found a company out of New Hampshire. They, um, they're take was that 19 of 21 points were within the 5% range of probability for for matching. And they came back saying they thought it was a moderate match, which in facial apparently is is a a positive connection. That's just a a part of the puzzle. That's an objective approach. We also pulled in an artist, a forensics artist with 40 plus years of experience. He did things like overlays at different um, levels of transparency. He did 50-50 cutouts. He did facial feature tracing, which I thought was really interesting. We, we didn't use that one in the article, and I'm wishing we had, but very carefully tracing the daguerreotype lips, nostrils, eyes, etc. Then you take that same tracing and drop it on the death mask, and you take the same tracing and drop it on the portrait. And it really is a, a surprisingly good match. And the, the places it doesn't match on the portrait are the places that we knew going in it wouldn't match. Because the portrait does not match the death mask when it comes to the length of the nose and the width of the mouth and the thickness of the lips, features like that, that, mm-hmm. that now um, numerous art historians have weighed in and explained, yeah, portrait 
painters, were not photographers, and they were applying filters. They were glamour shots. So they would make you look what people at the time thought was refined. So although I was surprised that it didn't look just like the portrait, turns out the professionals say we shouldn't be surprised by that. Because mm-hmm. portraits... Uh, it, it's lack of it's like, almost like a glorified image of, of is, a person, right? That's very common. very much a glorified yeah. image of the person. Yeah, I was uh, also interested not not only tracing the picture, but you're also having to trace this locket, right? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so so as we were working on provenance, we've got at least three statements from Joseph Smith III talking about having a daguerreotype of his father. At least one of those links it to Lucian Foster. The challenge is that it's clear that Joseph III is sometimes confusing a daguerreotype of the oil portrait with a daguerreotype from life. So we're, we're not always clear which he is talking about. And it sounds ridiculous that somebody would be confused by that. But even today, people are confused by that all the time for lots of reasons that we talk about in the article. Uh, daguerreotypes are, are surprisingly lifelike. So... Um, we, as we were working on provenance, though, we started bumping into, my, my wife Kristen found the first one, photographs of Smith family women wearing what sure appears, appears to be this locket. Um, and we found it first on Emma J., who is Joseph III's oldest daughter, uh, Joseph and Emma's oldest grandchild. Uh, Emma Hale Smith also gave Emma J. The, the gold bead necklace that Emma was always wearing, gave it to her just before Emma J.'s wedding, and, and it seems also gave her this locket. So by 1875 or so, Emma J. is wearing it. Then we found it earlier on Joseph III's wife, Bertha Madison Smith. And the fact that it goes from apparently Bertha to Emma, who is not her daughter, um, is the, um, you know, Bertha, if it's a Madison object, I think it's going to go to a Madison daughter, not to um, one of the daughters from Emmeline, Joseph III's first wife, who had died. And then there's a, a second photo of Emma J. wearing it. And then in 1910, a third photo, so 35 years, she seems to be wearing and treasuring these this object. Now, I would love to be able to pull out just a little more detail to say conclusively, this is the locket, or at least this is the same lake scene that is engraved on the locket. Mm-hmm. But the, the the photograph of was of the woman not focusing on the locket. So I just wish we had just a little more. You could blow it up more and see more detail of that. Yeah. You can see um, like shades of where things are at. On yeah, there, right. It, the it, match. I think it's there, and yeah. I, you know I recognize that the danger is uh, we could just be seeing what we want to see, but True. so especially the scrolling along the edge, there are some features that seem to match yeah. really pretty well. Yeah. And we're working on ways to, to consider scale. And I think there's some promising ways to do that. And, and at, at first, um, our first effort suggests that it probably also works for the scale. So it's about, well, the locket is an inch and a half. It is a small object. So that seems to be fitting as well. Mm-hmm. Let, let's step back. We're going to talk more about the provenance and things like that, of course. But let's step back just a little bit. Now, you, you've there's been widely circulated news reports now, um, and your paper uh, that you co-authored is out. Uh, 
what kind of feedback are you getting? Are there more believers, more doubters, more skeptics, more critics? I mean, what's the, what, what kind of feedback are you getting? So as we expected, we're getting all kinds of feedback from that's him to (laughs) there's no way that's him. So some of it is, oh, that person looks too old, which I think is kind of funny because the last daguerreotype that circulated, everybody was saying, oh, that person looks too young. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, But some of what people are seeing in the daguerreotype and saying, it makes them look old are not wrinkles. They're scratches on the glass. It was polished in a circular fashion. And so on the forehead, there are kind of um, curved scratches on the glass, which people are perceiving as wrinkles in the forehead. And there, I've seen some people talking about a scar on his left Eyebrow. Now, I'm not talking about the brow furrow, which is there in the painting and in the daguerreotype, but a scar, and, and that's also scratches on the, the glass. Those are not features that are on the image itself. The other thing I think, again, people are forgetting, portrait painters made you look better and younger. So they smoothed out your skin. Every art historian that has weighed in has said, of course, they don't look just like the painting. That's that's not what people paid a portrait painter to do. Yeah. So do you regret um, being so unequivocal in your description? Do you think you, you should have said more like probably, likely, maybe? I, I don't regret it, but... But that's okay. I also recognize that it's the beginning of a discussion. Um, I'm uh, I'm good with it. I think it's him. <laughs> so when you you brought up the death mask, death mask, uh, Joseph and Hiram both had death masks taken, right? What were the similarities and differences? What as opposed to also with the oil portrait? So the the, the daguerreotype to the death mask really lines up quite well. Chin, nose placement, eyes, you know, length of nose, distance between the, the bottom of the nose and the top of the lip. Those features really line up surprisingly well, really very, very well. And the portrait, the difference again, length of nose is off from the daguerreotype to the portrait, but it's also off from the portrait to the death mask. So we, we, we know what the artist was doing different. The daguerreotype lines up with the death mask in the ways that it should. I will caution people, a lot of folks are focusing on the chin, especially thinking, oh, that's got to be Hiram. That fits much better with Hiram. Well, the death mask of Hiram was apparently dropped at some point. The chin was broken off, and that is not the original chin. It's pretty clearly not the original chin. But but we also need to be a little careful because some really early images of the Joseph death mask suggest that chin might have been damaged as well. Hmm. So I think it's important that people understand that it's not not just simple. <laughs> there are complicating factors there. So uh, earlier you alluded to a confusion about daguerreotypes. And I've definitely run into people who swear that the first daguerreotype the oil painting came from that daguerreotype instead of the other way around. Maybe, but that would put the daguerreotype at 42 or earlier. Yeah. And Grant Romer, who is um, a world-renowned expert in archaic photography, he's he's stunning. He was at the Eastman House Kodak's Museum for 
decades. He looked at it for us and believes it's consistent with as early as 1843. Now, could he be off by a year? Sure. So, I mean, that's an intriguing possibility, but um, I, I don't know. We do know that David Rogers is in Nauvoo, and, and over a five-day period, Joseph is sitting for him. And David Rogers did that 1842 portrait. David Rogers did the 1842 portrait. That's based on the research of Glenn Leonard, re- retired with the Museum um, of the Church of Jesus Christ. He was able to locate in New York City and in Washington, D.C., both signed and attributed David Rogers portraits, and they share the same painterly characteristics as ours. So it's pretty clear that these are the David Rogers. There's also been huge confusion about that because there's David Rogers, the portrait painter, church member from New York City, who leaves the church and becomes a Strangite later. And then there's David White Rogers, who is a chairmaker and put together hymnals and comes west. And even the Joseph Smith Papers website two days ago when I looked conflated the two. There's a lot of confusion about them. And Brigham Young later attributes two oil profiles of Joseph and Hiram to Rogers that are out here. And I think it's pretty clear they're not. But but this is a complex story. So, um, But I mean, again, if... If Rogers painted the portrait and the daguerreotype looks almost identical, that would suggest that the daguerreotype is of the painting, not the other way around. Oh, so is this a question about the Smith-Larsen daguerreotype? No. Okay. This is a question about that other daguerreotype that later in your article you talk about Carter, um, the... Utah photographer taking a picture. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's in that case, what is happening is Foster, maybe somebody else, but likely Foster takes the daguerreotype of the oil portrait. Right. There's also a daguerreotype of Emma's portrait, both in the collections of Community of Christ. Yeah. Joseph III in 1885 visits Nauvoo, visits his stepdad and says, oh, he gave me a daguerreotype of my father, which I forgot existed. And then... A few months later, maybe five months later, he's on a mission to Utah. He he doesn't initially talk about it, but he clearly connects with Charles W. Carter, gives him permission to, to take a photograph of the daguerreotype of the oil portrait. Mm-hmm. Carter touches it up with India ink, and Carter later advertises it and, and says um, that it came from the, the daguerreotype from Joseph III. So it's it's really clear that the Carter images are based on a daguerreotype of the portrait. But then there's Carson images from 1879 that confuse people as well. It, it does seem, at least in like journal entries that seem to be lots of different places, that it seems like most people agree that there is a daguerreotype photo of Joseph Smith. Well, there's right? sure there sure is a lot of people who have thought there was, right? And I think in many cases it's based on Joseph III's statements. I see. But but so historians have bumped into those and been mm-hmm. looking for many decades now. But again, uh, I'm, how do we tell when Joseph III is really talking about the daguerreotype from life, right? And when he's talking about the daguerreotype of the oil portrait, he also describes one being given by Joseph Smith Jr. to Julia his sister, and says that Alexander, his brother, um, now has it. But then he says, if you want to see it, talk to Carter. 
<laughs> so it's very confusing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit because some have noticed that about they think oh, this can't be Joseph. He died at 38, and this guy looks older than 38. And you talked a little bit about that, and you know how daguerreotypes get scratched and things like that. Anything more to say on that? Yeah, I would say look look at side by side Emma Hale Smith 1842 and the David Rogers portrait. Emma Hale Smith, circa 45, holding her baby David. And I think she looks 10 or 15 years older in the daguerreotype. Now, um, sure, she's been through a lot of stress in those two years, three years. But portrait painters made you look younger. It is so clear. I would also say I was just talking to somebody who's reached out to me about a daguerreotype they're researching. And this person had actually just had a daguerreotype made sometime in the last 10 years of them. So people are still trying it. They're still making them. And everybody in the group was stunned that they looked at least 10 years older in the daguerreotype than they did in real life because they're so high resolution. You know, imagine our shock when we saw for the first time high def TV reporters. (laughs) Oh, where's the makeup? We all recoil at pictures of ourselves. (laughs) Yes, okay. (laughs) And I see that with Lincoln things too, quite often. You see that with Lincoln? I'm I'm seeing other people post that I I have not been able to track it down yet, but somebody posted a daguerreotype of twin sisters and then the painting, clearly based on the same pose, the same mm-hmm. sitting, with painted maybe from the daguerreotype. And again, they, they look very different in the painting than the daguerreotype. They're clearly the same people, right? but, but very different. Now, I was fascinated by one other thing. I was fascinated by much of it. But one other thing I wanted to ask you about was the image of Lucy Max Smith. Which is daguerreotype too, right? Which we think was taken about the same time. That's your. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it sort of like has the same background, same those kinds of things. Yeah. So, uh, my introduction to Latter Day Saint history, um, I had just done an internship through Community Christ at the Nauvoo site, the Joe Smith Historic Site. I was going to go to Kirtland the next year, and I needed to kill some time, so I was invited to help the Lynn and Lorreen Smith family. They were, um, Lynn had passed away. Lorreen was downsizing. So Lynn Smith is the son of Albert Smith, the son of David Hiram Smith, Joseph and Emma's youngest son. Mm-hmm. So with most of Joseph and Emma's children, well, Joseph III had 17 kids and Alexander, I think, had nine. So the family objects in those two families got scattered far and wide in the family. But for David, he had one son who had two sons, but one of the two ended up with all the stuff. So it was it was the most amazing church history experience. I, I picked up a stack of Life magazines, and there's an original David Smith watercolor stuck in between the pages. They also had the original daguerreotype of Emma and David, so the 1845 daguerreotype. So I was in their attic going through a trunk, and there was an envelope, and it was labeled Mother Smith's Pictures. And in this context, that is Clara Hartshorn Smith, David Smith's wife. And in there was a little carte de visite 
which is a you know rectangular, small rectangular photo, but it's a photo of a, a daguerreotype, so a circular object. At the time, we thought it was a button because that's that was pretty common. You'd, you'd wear a button of your loved ones, mm-hmm. um, but we now realize it's it's one of these locket inserts, but not set into the locket. And the reason it caught my attention when I found it is because I had just been shown an oil portrait that had been found in the Nauvoo Mansion House attic, Joseph and Emma's attic, in the 1950s by one of our conservators. Um, And it was all rolled up and not in great shape. But clearly, the painting is painted from the image that Daguerreotype captured in the Carte de Visite. And so our research led us to the conclusion that that is Lucy Max Smith, and that's now widely accepted. Right. So speaking of all these relatives, did you compare this daguerreotype with photos of the extended Smith family? Lots of people are saying, oh, it looks like William. It looks like, you know, other relatives, Frederick, I think. Yeah, so Frederick is a son and it does kind of look like Frederick, but it's not the daguerreotype wouldn't be the right period for Frederick. It does. The eyes are kind of strikingly similar to William, but the Smith, William's a scoundrel. (laughs) Joseph III's children are not going to wear William on their breast for three and a half decades. Um, What we did focus on, because I think this would be more likely, uh, could it be other um, Madison ancestors, um, some of Joseph III's uh, wives' ancestors? So we did try and go through and either find photographs of those people or figure out if they were born too early or too late. And we're pretty much able to rule out all but two. So there's still two ancestors out there that there are no photographs that we've been able to find. But the most common one I'm hearing is Hiram. That must be Hiram. Mm -hmm. Well, every image of Hiram in the 19th century, he has really (laughs) pronounced sideburns, major sideburns. So could he have shaved the day he had the stake in, I, I guess, but I don't, I don't think so. So there's a, a Maudsley profile of Hiram, um, probably 42, 43, and, and very heavy sideburns. Same with Hiram's portrait done in Kirtland in 1836. So uh, it's, it's not Hiram. So historians with the Salt Lake City-based church say there's no firm provenance for the locket before 1992. Um when Dan Larson's mother died, I guess, and and gave it to him. But in your research, you assert that it was handed down from Smith's wife, Emma, in the family. Um, you've, you've talked a little bit about this. What have you found to support all of that? So that that's the the visual materials, the photographs that we're finding. Of the locket. And, oh, and I got to say, if, that's um, yeah. if, if I was a historian for the Church of Jesus Christ, Post Hoffman, I would also be extraordinarily careful. I, I <laughs> yeah, appreciate sure. that. We mm-hmm. we should all do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I I hope that more will turn up. But I I think that the photo evidence, the visual evidence, is somewhat compelling. Now it doesn't turn out in the journal as quite as well, but I think it's it's pretty interesting. So. Emma is shown in an 18, circa 44, Sutcliffe Maudsley watercolor with her son, Alexander, and she is wearing on a ribbon around her neck 
what is either a pocket watch protruding from the pocket or a watch locket. And at her wedding to Louis Biedemann, she is described as wearing a watch on a heavy gold chain. And, and when it first shows up on Bertha Madison, it is on a heavy gold chain and it has a little pen knife on it, which you'd use to sharpen quill pens on the same chain. And then there's a rectangular bar that I believe they would use to pin to their dress. So when you lean over, the, the chain isn't swinging, the locket isn't swinging. So that same setup shows up both on Bertha Madison and on Emma J. So it's, I think, abundantly clear that that that's the same object. But eventually Emma J moves it to a thinner chain, wearing it around her neck versus pinned to her dress. But, but I think that visual material is, um, it, it, I think will capture a number of folks' attention. But I appreciate their caution. I, uh, I get it. Are, is the LDS church um, participating in, in some of this and, and you know, yeah, so authenticating? I, I'll talk about this because they, in their statement, talked about it. But we didn't, in our article, um, say anything about this because we didn't in any way want to suggest that they were um, endorsing these efforts. Right. But my uncle Dan, who's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, reached out about nine months into the research and um, eventually loaned the locket to um, with at a pretty high level folks in the historical department. So they assigned some folks to look at it. And I appreciate that their conclusion like ours is this is consistent with the period. The the artifact itself, the, the locket case, um, the, the clothing, the hairstyle, that, that's that's consistent. So so we're in agreement there. Mm-hmm. Um, then it becomes a question of, okay, this is an 1840s daguerreotype and locket, but who is it? And that's that's where we're going from there. And I really appreciate the support they gave us. They were kind enough to do, and I can't remember the right word, but spectrometry, that's not quite right, but uh, shooting light at it, which then tells you the chemical composition. So we know what percentage of gold and silver and tin and copper. This is not a high dollar 24 carat. <laughs> this was not an expensive object. I say not expensive, but they're advertised for, I think it's three to $5 in the church newspaper in New York City. <laughs> so a question uh, that's been raised about the locket is um, if in fact it was passed on through uh, Emma's family, uh, why wouldn't any of them boast about it or, or, or talk about it in Correspondence. I guess Joseph Smith III did, but there's confusion. But why wouldn't, like, say, Fred Smith, former president, RLDS president, wouldn't he have told his family, look, there's this daguerreotype? And the other question I have along that line is, were daguerreotypes multiple copies made? Yes, you could take daguerreotypes of daguerreotypes. There's also some confusion online about 
lateral reversing. Yes. It's true that daguerreotypes laterally reversed the yes. image, <laughs> but as early as 1842 and maybe earlier, they had mirrors available that, that would reverse it back, but it was kind of clumsy and not easy to use. So more often, they would just take a daguerreotype of the daguerreotype. So I think many are reversed, but I don't think it's safe to assume that, that just just it has to be reversed. That is not the case. But so why wouldn't they talk about yeah. it? Why wouldn't they talk about it? So Emma was extraordinarily protective of, of Joseph's memory, of his bones. <laughs> she was hiding him repeatedly because uh, leaders from various Latter-day Saint tradition churches were trying to steal the body because they believed it would have spiritual authority. And she was also extraordinarily protective of the painting of Joseph, the Rogers painting. So when Junius F. Wells visits, she's happy to show it to him, but she won't let him copy it. And, and I believe that she's trying to keep distance between the, the memory of Joseph and polygamy. She just didn't want that connected mm. to him. So I think they're very protective about that. And that, that is still the case in, in the family. But I think there's probably other things going on as well. So it's coming down the female line, which makes sense because it's jewelry, not a pocket watch. But I also think that at some point, uh, I think it must go from Emma J to Fred, probably, which is her brother and the president of the LDS church. Fred never saw Joseph Jr. For that matter, neither did Emma J. But especially by the time it gets to my grandmother, if she was able to get it open, because it was not easy to open, the mechanism wasn't releasing. So I think she and her family are living on Fred's farm. He dies unexpectedly. She inherits the farm and his personal effects. And I think this object was among them. So if she was able to get it open, just like we don't immediately recognize the person, I don't think she would either. But I also don't know if she was able to get it open. There's another element as well. Because Community Christ members don't share the the afterlife theology of the Church of Jesus Christ, we don't, don't do ordinances by proxy, we're not as focused on family relationships and ancestors and objects in the way that a lot of our cousins are in the West. You hired a company, a forensic artist, that uh, to compare the death mask with the oil painting. And, and the and, daguerreotype. And the daguerreotype. You said it had a moderate evidence. So that's back to the facial analysis. Yes. Right? Can you repeat, kind of repeat a yeah. little bit about that? Yeah. So the... The facial recognition software, um, they digitize points after um, make, using the distance between the eyes. And, and I am not a facial recognition specialist, but uh, they kind of standardize the images uh, and then they lay them over the top of each other and they digitize certain points. Mm -hmm. And 19 of the 21 fell within the realm that that is apparently acceptable, 5%. So they thought there was a, a moderate match. And then the 
artist, the forensics artist, and and this is subjective, not not the algorithms of the facial recognition, but his opinion was that there was a 90% probability that these were the same individuals. Um, but I'm guessing other people out there are going to want to give it a go and be will that, interesting Will, will that be available, that technique? Uh, well, they'll have to hire somebody to do it, just like I we mean, did. well, <laughs> will this, the, the results of those tests be available? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, did you did you test? Is it a copper plate? Did you test the metal? So we didn't test the metal of the daguerreotype plate, but but Tom Edmondson, the the conservator who was working on it in Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, and and has considerable experience caring for daguerreotypes based on something on the back, and I, I was not there. This was pandemic. Um, times, but based on evidence on the back of the plate, he concluded it was consistent with the mid 1840s. Um, is I guess there's something called electroplating. That's probably it. It's in the paper, I think. And he said uh, the person I talked to said it wasn't widely available in the 18 until the end of the 1840s. So uh, I'll have to rely on on the experts. So here's one who's saying it is, and one who's saying. It's not. <laughs> okay, so in in 2008, the Community of Christ members and historians put forward another daguerreotype. No. Okay, who did that? Uh, so we talked about one in the early 90s. Um, and later, one of our research team members, without permission, uh, took our materials and used them. We were not ready to say... We believe there was more work to be done, so we were not ready to. And that's the one of the one that people think was him younger. Yeah, that's the scandal daguerreotype. And it's been pretty much debunked. Is that correct? I I don't know that that's correct. I think what people are confused by is that it's on a plate. We we took it to Rochester and. And the folks with the Eastman House and others looked at it. And the plate has a, a maker's mark on it that is 1852 or later. But we went in thinking this is likely a copy, a daguerreotype of a daguerreotype of a daguerreotype of a daguerreotype of a daguerreotype, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe why some of the softening on the features. So I think there's still more work to do on that one, but we are not concentrating on that one at the moment. But it hasn't been fully debunked. I think there's plenty of people who will say it has, mm-hmm. but I think they're not usually a particularly informed opinion, but but maybe there's something out there I'm not aware of. Okay. Lock a, a final question as, as we wrap up, um, and this may seem like a no-brainer, but why do you think there's such eagerness among followers to identify a photograph of Joseph Smith? I think because there hasn't been one, <laughs> it's, it's a mystery, and, and uh, we're uncomfortable with that. And I think even though we all have kind of wired ourselves into seeing Joseph as that oil portrait, I think at some level, most of us know people don't really look like that. <laughs> I've talked about a plastic surgeon friend who for years has said, nobody looks like that. That's not a real human face. So I think maybe we get that. And and there's been this desire to, to really get beyond what is almost that mythological figure in the portrait to see the, the man. Okay, Lachlan Mackay, thanks for joining us today. Thrilled to be with you. 
<laughs> Thanks to Dave, David Noyce. Thanks, Peggy. And our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormon land newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormon land. <laughs>